know how anyone is supposed to follow that up. Wow. That is too cute. That's the definition of too cute. What a good job. I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't been at the other presentations and and uh, wow, cute. Well, they did such a good job. Don't you love Christmas songs? You know, I love this time of year. You know, uh, you can get distracted with the busyness of, of shopping, you know, and the, the busyness of the season. But we'd be better off just asking ourselves, you know, what is Christmas all about? You know, what is the season all about? As the song says, what's so holy, so divine, so special about Jesus coming? About Jesus being born? So for these next two Sundays, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at really asking and answering two questions. Who is Jesus and why did he come? Why was he born? Why did he come to to the earth to be born in a... A manger, really a cattle trough. Why did he come to die on a cruel Roman cross? Why would he do that? So before we start there, and the guys will get a little PowerPoint. Sorry, I don't have my regular pulpit. This is what we're going with today. I'm fine with it. I hope you are too. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you. We do want to thank you that it's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that performs all these good things. And Lord, all these things are for your glory and for our benefit when you sent your Son. So as we look at today's passage in Luke, Lord, speak to our hearts, each one here, each one that you've brought, and speak to our, each one, the heart of each one about what you want to say to them and how you're going to draw them closer to yourself. Bless this time we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, if we can turn to Luke chapter 19. I'll go ahead and read the passage first. Luke chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Hey, Jake. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, we're going to do a little traveling this morning. Hope you don't mind traveling. We're going to travel one of the best ways I know how. It's what, it's what I call, uh, let's see if I get this to work, traveling by map. Okay? It's the best way to travel, I think. You avoid the, you know, the jet lag and the airplane fuel and, and, the air, you know, and the airplane food, and you get there really quick. So here we are. We're already in the Mediterranean area. This is Spain, Africa, England, and we're going all the way to Israel. Okay? Because so, where we're at in our first verse is, Jesus entered and he's passing through a city called Jericho, right here. Many of us might be familiar with that. Some of us have gone through the Joshua class, and we saw Josh, Joshua fight the battle of Jericho, where really the Lord just brought the walls down. He marched around, and it was the Lord who brought the walls down. It was a, it was a great victory for the Lord. And so here's Jericho. And then in relationship to Jerusalem, and then you have here the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked on the water, and a big city called Damascus in Syria. The reason I bring that up is Jericho is where Jesus was passing through. And this is a little valley area about, about 700 feet below sea level, and you had to go up to Jerusalem, total gain of about 3,500 feet. So there's a big difference there, Okay. But Jericho, it turns out, is a gateway of commerce. It's, it's a, it's a um, uh, wealthy city. They have a lot of trade. People have come from Damascus in Syria. They would come through here. Uh, Jews they had to come to Jerusalem for the Passover from Galilee and from this area we call Perea. They would come this way. This area right here is called Samaria. The, the Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. So they would go around Samaria cross the Jordan, come back over here, and they'd come through Jericho first. Okay? And so it made Jericho very popular. They had forts there. It was a military location. It was a commercial location. It was in a green valley. It was a lush area. They called it the Eden of Palestine. But where you have commerce and you have money, you also have crime. Heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? Well, it was uh, an Israelite, a Jewish man who was on his way to Jericho when the Samaritan found him. And even though his own priest and Levite wouldn't help him, it was the Samaritan man who helped him on the road to Jericho. But see, that's what you have. When you have a lot of commerce, you have crime as well. But that's not the only type of crime you have in Jericho. You have other types of crime, what I would call organized, or in this case, authorized crime. What you have, because of this being such a central location, all the commerce, the trade, the pilgrims, everyone coming through Jericho before they get to Jerusalem, being funneled in, who sits there right in the middle of Jericho? Tax collectors. All right? Now, you have to understand what a tax collector is in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Rome conquered all of this land. They owned all of it, but the Israelites lived inside of it. And Rome collected taxes from the Israelites. It would be as if some other, like China or someone else, owned California, and we paid them taxes, and they went to some other country. And it would be us gathering taxes from each other. 
So that's what a tax collector is in the New Testament. It's an Israelite who's been kind of like a traitor to their own countrymen. They would gather taxes and then ship them off to Rome. And what are you going to say to the tax collector? He says, hey, you have to pay this. And right behind him is, you know, you know Guido and Vinny, the Roman soldiers. What do you, get? you can't say no. You have to pay up. So in the Jewish culture at that time, tax collectors were the bottom rung of society. They were traitors. Not only were they traitors, since they were already despised, and this didn't help, they had all the power. They could take whatever money they wanted from you. They could say, yeah, you told me your income is this, or you had that many sheep. I think you actually have this many. You owe me more taxes. You see? And they lied. They would falsely accuse people and then steal from them. Their own countrymen give Rome their portion. Of course, they misreported what Rome was supposed to get. And what did they do with the rest? Right here. Put it right in their pocket and kept it. How would you feel like, how would you feel towards someone like that? Your own countrymen ripping you off and stealing from you with the power of a foreign country that controls your nation. In the New Testament, it says, it uses the expression, tax collectors and sinners. It was, it was synonymous. <laughs> okay? Or it would say tax collectors and harlots or prostitutes. Because in the mind of the Jewish person of that day, or re and really anyone observing the situation, what? They had both sold their souls. They had both sold out their souls for money. You didn't get any lower than a tax collector. So who do we have here? We have a guy named Zacchaeus. Who is Zacchaeus? Well, he's definitely a tax collector. So as we said, he's a traitor, extortionist, manipulator. He falsely accused people. He even falsely accused and took advantage of the poor as we're going to see. It doesn't get much lower than that. But he's not just a tax collector. Who is he? He's the chief tax collector, probably at least in Jericho. So what does that make him? It makes him the kind of the slime ball of the slime balls, right? He's the extortioner of the extortionists. He's chief head honcho. Matter of fact, he's done it so well, he probably trained the other guys under him. And he probably hold them accountable. They're probably trying to cheat him, how much money they're going to give him. You know, kind of the whole pyramid scheme thing, right? Until it gets back to Rome. And he knows he can see through it because he's just a cheat, as much of a cheat as they are. You see? So he's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. And think about that. There's the people, there are tax collectors, and there's a chief tax collector you're getting closer to Rome, and in the mind of an Israelite, supposed to be God's people, you're getting closer to Rome, what are you doing? You're getting further from God. You're just getting further and further from God. Not just a tax collector, not just a chief tax collector, he was rich. What does that tell you about how he did his tax collecting? He was good at it. 
Okay, well, good in that sense, right? He knew how to do this. That's what he was in it for. He was in it for the money. He had sold his soul for greed. Jesus had just said in the chapter before, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier to take a camel and put it through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? (laughs) It doesn't work. And the disciples said, wow, we thought God blessed the rich people, and that's why they were blessed by God, they were blessed by God because they knew God. And Wow, who then can be saved? And what does Jesus say? With men, it's impossible. With men, it's impossible to save yourself. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. You see this guy who is the chief of those who sell their souls for money. Sold out to the God of money. And we see what Jesus does in his life. He's not just a chief tax collector who's rich. He's also short. He's short. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me something. Um, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for, for people who are um, vertically challenged. <laughs> I have a pequeña mamacita myself. I appreciate my mom. And um, you can see, you can just imagine what his life was like, right? He was a tax collector, a chief tax collector, and he wasn't that tall. How much respect do you think he got on a regular basis? Not much. Not much. But you know what it spoke to me about? This guy worked hard. Because everything he got, he earned. Now, it might have been wrong things, but he worked hard at it. He had to. He got his position by what we used to call in Little League football, he hustled. He was hustling. He was working hard. He was diligent. Did things quickly and well. But we're going to see he got all these riches. He got this position. But what? Something was missing. Something was missing. You know, riches can't fill you. They really can't. God has placed a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. And no amount of money will ever fill it. Some of the richest men who ever lived, they've been asked, well, how much is enough? You've got so much. You know, I just want one more dollar. Just give me one more dollar. That doesn't make any sense. You want more than one more? It never stops. I know a man who, who said to a friend, I'm just not happy until I've bought that next house. <laughs> His friend said, you need to get that checked. Wow. Doesn't fill. It doesn't satisfy. You know, we would hear better stories about winning the lottery. There's so many lotteries that go on. I don't know how often they go and people win, but how many good stories do you hear coming out of those? I don't hear about so many or any, really. So here we have Zacchaeus, chief tax collector who is rich, but he can't see because of the crowd. You can picture Jesus coming down the walkway, right? He's coming down, and he's got this crowd of people with him. You know, and it's all about this love, and you can just see this, you know. And he, he can't get there. He can't see. But you know what it tells me about picturing Zacchaeus like that? 
He's missing something, and he knows it. Because if he was rich and satisfied, where would he be? He'd be kicking back in his house. Jesus, too? Yeah, whatever. Counting my money on my table. He's not like that. He wants to see Jesus. And he knows how to work hard. He knows how to make it happen. And so that's what we see happening here. We see Zacchaeus running to Jesus. As it says here in verse 4, So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he's going to pass that way. Some people have taken a, a picture of a sycamore tree in Jericho. That's where this is from. And they claim it's that. Uh, I don't know if that looks like the trunk of a 2,000-year-old tree, but I'm not an arborologist or anything, so I couldn't tell you either way. But that's a sycamore tree, and this is Jericho. There's a little bit of a branch right here that someone a little vertically challenged might be able to climb up into. But you could just imagine a whole... Jesus always had a mass of people around him. People just crowding. He had 12 disciples to begin with, and everybody else crowding with him. And we saw last week blind people crying out to him, trying to get his attention. There's no way this little guy's got a shot. There's no way. But that doesn't stop him. You see, if you want to see Jesus, you can make it happen. If you want to get in front of him and get something, who knows what he wanted? We really don't know. Was he just curious? Had he heard about Jesus? This one who had healed so many, who had taught like no one else had ever taught, who, who was at odds against the regular religious leaders? Or maybe he heard... You know, I heard someone else say, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Who's a friend? What religious leader is a friend of tax collectors and sinners? I've got to see this. You see? And so you can picture him running up ahead, jumping up into the tree and saying, I just got to see this. You see? What does that tell you? He's not happy the way he is. He's got a problem. He's got a need. And he's hoping he can see Jesus fill it. And he's right. He put the effort in because he really wanted to see him. Let me ask you today. That's what Zacchaeus did. He's running to Jesus. What about us? Why should we run to Jesus today? People run to things. They run to self-help books. They run to ways of thinking or religion. Why? Because they know something's wrong. They know something's missing. Why am I so sad? Why do I not have peace in my heart? What's missing? What's wrong? Life is not satisfying. So they get curious. Like Zacchaeus. And they say, well, maybe I'll try out church. Or maybe I'll try to read my Bible. Maybe I'll talk to that person about Jesus who I know is a Christian. And so they get curious. But why should they run ahead and, as it were, climb up into that tree and really make an effort to see Jesus? You know, it's because they want the greatest questions in life answered. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? When I die, where do I go? 
And how can I know for sure it's a good place? You know what? When you make that effort to see Jesus and you want those questions answered and you, as it were, hustle up that tree and it looks it's kind of embarrassing. This guy's, a, this guy's got a position, right? He doesn't care. He wants to see Jesus. So he goes shimming up a tree. When you do that in your life and you make the effort to see and know and draw near to Jesus, he appreciates that. He stops and what? Takes notice. He goes, wow. You're showing God you mean business, even if it means humbling yourself a little bit, which he certainly did here. It says in verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. I mean, if you're Zacchaeus, what are you thinking? Whoa! Right? He just, you know, if you've ever been around, I've been around a lot of famous people. It's not really a thing of mine. But, you know, actually I've been to baseball games. And if they actually look at you and wave to you, they go, hey, he looked at me. Jerry's got some really close seats to the A's game. It's pretty cool, right? You see a baseball, hey, hey, you threw me the ball. That was cool. Jesus has a crowd, a multitude of people. You're one of the least welcome. You got yourself in a position of prominence because you wanted to and he says stops hey Zacchaeus he knows him by name did you notice that now what if one of those baseball players said hey Jerry you'd be like whoa how did you know me it would catch you right that's just a baseball player this is Jesus Zacchaeus come on hurry up get down I must stay at your place today Wow, that's incredible. He knows me. He not only sees me, he called me by name. And it's interesting, this is the only place you ever see Jesus inviting himself over someone's house. And I'm actually pretty good with it. I've got friends from the Middle East, and it's actually, a, it's actually um, you're showing them, uh, I forget exactly what the word would be, but it's a, it's a privilege to them for you to invite yourself to their house. To us, it's kind of, well, that was kind of forward. But for them, it's not. You're, you're saying, you are so worthy. I'd like to stay at your place. <laughs> Look who he's saying it to. This is the chief tax collector. Yeah, I want to stay at your place. How many other religious priests, Levites, and whoever else were there in Jericho? It didn't matter. Jesus said, I want to stay at your place. And do you hear what he said? I must stay at your place. You see? Can you imagine that? I'm sure it just blew by Zacchaeus, I know it would blow by me. Jesus, I think every morning, he sought his father's face and said, Father, what do you want me to do? And the father spoke to him. And that morning was, speak to Zacchaeus. He's coming, speak to him, go to his house. Son says, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. The father had made an appointment for the son. The son was going to keep it. I must stay at your place, Zacchaeus. There's spiritual business to transact at Zacchaeus' house. <laughs> you got to think, this is a tax collector, and he's rich. How many religious leaders do you think he's had over his house before? Somewhere between zero and none, yeah. 
It just didn't happen. Right? And he doesn't get a religious leader. He gets Jesus. The, the, the best. The, the highest. Wow. He's in, Zacchaeus has entered lots of people's houses. He entered lots of people's houses looking around saying, okay, we got a tax on that. we got a tax on this. we got a tax on this. Pay up. And he didn't have a choice. He went to people's houses ripping things off. Maybe some of that same stuff was in his house. And now what's happening? Now Jesus is coming into his house. How would you feel? You are a thief, extortionist, manipulator. You got stuff laying around that's other people's stuff. Or you sold their stuff and bought better. And as you look around, wow. He's rich. I'm sure he went home and he said, honey, Jesus is coming over. Go, go start the lamb and, hey, maid, go clean this. Butler, go fix that. And, but he stops. And he goes, whoa. That's not going to be good enough. Jesus is coming over. And it hits him right there in that moment. Everything that he's been, everything that he's done, who he is, and what's got to happen. And he goes, no. If Jesus is coming in, this has got to go. What is it? It's called sin. It's anything that's not from the Lord. It's wrong. He was worshiping money, and now he has the opportunity. He sees, if I'm ever going to get right with God, now's the time. Jesus is coming through that door. I need to let this stuff go. Do you know Jesus knows you by name? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about hearing the voice of Jesus and him saying your name? He does. He does know your name. Just like he knew Zacchaeus's. And just like he knew every sin Zacchaeus had ever done, he knows us that well, as well. Everything you've ever done, thought, imagined, he was right there the whole time. Now, if you're like me, you just want to curl up in a fetal position and go, ah. But you know what the amazing thing is? Jesus knows that level of detail about you. And instead of lots of other things he could do, what does he say? I want to come to your house. I want to stay with you. <laughs> I'd be like what Peter said after they're done fishing. Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You and I don't belong in the same boat, the same house, or the same anything. But that's who Jesus is. Even though he is perfect and wonderful and loving, he says, I want a relationship with you. I want to come to your house. But it has to be an honesty. We've got to bring everything on the table. We've got to deal with all this. And he already knows about it. He just wants to see us recognize it and turn from it. Blown by my side, slides. Jesus must come. And Zacchaeus received him joyfully. 
And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He knows us by name. He wants us to open our doors and to receive him joyfully as well. The next verse, verse 7. Not everyone's happy. It says in verse 7, But when they, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Well, we don't know who the they is. They, I guess, could be the disciples, but after three years, they ought to be used to Jesus doing things like this. Because he did this all the time. He was known as the friend of tax collectors and sinners. I'm really happy about that, by the way. I fit that bill. I qualify. Probably this was the religious leaders. You see, they saw themselves as those entitled to heaven. You see, genetically... They were from Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were Jews, God's people, right? Beyond that, they thought they did the things that earned them heaven. They took 10%. They'd take the smallest little leaf and they would, okay, that's leaf eight, nine, okay, 10. Boop. And they would pull that one out and they would say, okay, I'm going to give this to the Lord. You see? They would get it down to that level of detail. Of course, what they also didn't admit to was the sin that was in their lives that Jesus knew about. He says, you tithe mint and cumin, and then you devour widows' homes. They were not happy. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. They thought everyone should be like them. They thought sinners... Tax collectors, harlots, were only going to hell. Nothing could be done. That was it. You know, they couldn't be more wrong. They couldn't be more wrong. What happened to Zacchaeus? What happened to him? Let's look at verse 8. Then Chaos stood and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And that's a good thing, because where do you think he stole everything from? From the poor who have no defense. And he says, If I've taken anything from anyone, and, and some people would translate, Since I've taken something <laughs> by false accusation, right? So there was a certain part that was a legitimate tax. So he's saying, and everything after that, I'm going to give back how much? Fourfold. You know what that's called in the Bible? It's called making restitution. It's called making things right. That's what happens when the Lord Jesus gets a hold of a life. He changes it from the inside out. And they're different. And that's what you see with Zacchaeus. He's going, no, I was going that way, but... I've got a chance. I want to be with Jesus. I'm going to receive Jesus into my house. Yeah, and the sin, no, it's going. Lord, let me tell you. And what the religious leaders gave? They gave 10%. That's what the law required. 10% of, down to the detail. What did Zacchaeus give? Not double. Not even triple. 50% of being rich. Wow. Wow. I don't know how many zeros that includes. That tells you where his heart's at. Is his heart on the money anymore? 
No. He's got Jesus. And the money, well, here, I, that, 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 I, I want to get away from that. That was the stuff that was dragging me to hell. He knew he had to make restitution. He, he, look what he's saying here. He was, he's convicting himself completely. He says, I'm a thief. That's exactly what he's saying here. And he knew that Jesus knew. And he wanted to turn from that. What does Jesus want today in your life? What does he want? You know, he wants to change it. He does. He wants to change your life. You know what? If you stole something and you took it, you've pirated it, give it back. Just do it. Right, Luke? Luke gave a testimony last week for those of you who weren't here of him doing exactly that as the Lord worked in his life. Just do it. If, if your God has been money or a relationship, fill in the blank. What has your God been? It's been holding you back from Jesus. Turn away from it. Let it go. Make it right. If it takes paying it back, pay it back. Do it in an unmistakable way, though. Give an opportunity, as you heard Luke did. He had an opportunity to go back and make it right. And, and the person who heard Luke's confession said, is this a wake-up call from God? Because I'm having one, too, that I haven't responded yet. And that was the, that was the Macy's clerk. If God is speaking to you about a sin that's holding you back, Deal with it and deal with it in such a way that when that person hears what you're saying, they go, wow, Jesus is dealing in this person's life. Jesus is real because he is. And he's real in this person's life. You know what that does? It gives glory to God. It really gives glory to God the way he deserves How does Jesus respond to Zacchaeus? Verse, verse 9. He didn't, Zacchaeus didn't care about who looked. His changes were immeasurable. How does he respond to Zacchaeus in verse 9? Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. Did Jesus say, you know, you've been at this a long time, man. You're the chief tax collector. This is going to take years. You know, we're going to have to go through everything, and we're going to keep you under my thumb for a long time. You know, you're really going to pay for this. We're going to, we're going to sock it to you. You know? Does he do that? No. What does Jesus say? This man just got saved. He got saved. Today, this man got saved. He's also a child of Abraham. The religious leaders were working on their genetic descent of Abraham. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that genetic part's not the important part. Abraham believed God. And God accounted it to him, gave it to him for righteousness. That's what happened with Zacchaeus. He had the chance to receive Jesus. 
and believe in him. And at the same time, not let sin hold him back. And he's saying, that's a child of Abraham. That's someone who's right with me. And to be very clear, it wasn't the giving away 50% and restoring fourfold. That's not what saves Zacchaeus. What saves Zacchaeus? Who saves Zacchaeus? Jesus, that's right. Him coming in the front door and Zacchaeus saying, oh, I don't want this. I can have Jesus instead. He received Jesus into his house, into his life. He knew if Jesus was coming in, sin had to go out. That's called repentance. It's changing your mind. I'm not going to let this thing hold me back from knowing Jesus and from following Jesus. Yeah, that's what the Bible talks about. It says, we often quote a passage, and it's very good to quote, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The next verse is just as wonderful. For we are his workmanship, we believers who have now believed and gotten saved, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, we're in him, we're saved, unto good works. That God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For everyone who comes to Christ and is saved, he's got a whole life of a, of a changed life ahead of you. And I have to confess, it's a wonderful life. It really is. It's a life that that's, there's, there's change. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it hurts a little bit. Right? Change often does. I, I know a little bit about that. I'm trying to change this part about me right here, right now. And to lose 11 pounds of it has been painful. But it's been good. And repentance is like that. And Jesus changing your life is like that. A whole lifetime of change ahead of you. But not so you can be saved, but what? Because he's already saved you. He's already done all the work. And then he comes inside you by his Holy Spirit and changes from the inside out. We have the answer to our very beginning question. Why did Jesus come? It says there he came to seek. He's the one seeking. He's the one who opens the eyes. He's the one who made sure he walked right past where that sycamore tree was going to be. Zacchaeus thought he had it all planned out. Jesus was in control the whole time. Who put it in his heart to seek after Jesus, to want to see him? That was God working in his life. You see, the Lord is seeking. He's the one working. He's the one who cares about us. You know, I hear about people, they get frustrated with God, they get upset with God, God cares about you. I can make you a 100% guarantee. If there's a problem between you and God, I can 100% guarantee you who's in the wrong. Because <laughs> he's always right in the best possible way. He sought out Zacchaeus. He sought out the woman at the well. 
These were humble sinners who knew that they were sinners. And they weren't like the religious leaders, depending on their own self-righteousness. They said, yeah, you know what? I am a sinner. I need help. He seeks. That's what you see Jesus throughout the gospel doing, seeking. Why? He wants to save them. If you come to me, that's what he says. Come to you, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I can show you how to have rest. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of hard work trying to earn their way to heaven. And you know what? You can't get there. That's a lot of hard work. And you work your whole lifetime through and you cannot earn your way to heaven. Jesus says, come to me. Just come to me. I will give you that rest. I can save you. He wants to not only seek, but he wants to save them. To see that they need to receive him. That's what the woman at the well did. She got done talking to Jesus. She goes back to the town and say, come listen to a man who's told me everything I ever did. And they went, everything you did? Because she'd done a lot of bad stuff. And same with Zacchaeus. He didn't care anymore. The Lord had changed his life. To seek and to save. What does Jesus want for your life today? First of all, do you know he was seeking you? He's been seeking you your whole life through. He's been pursuing you. Everything in your life that was good and right and has led you to this moment of hearing this story from the Bible about who he is and his love for you, that was Jesus seeking you. You see? He's the one. If there's just one missing sheep, he's the one that leaves the 99 and goes and gets that one. I believe he's the one who brought you to this message today. He wants to save you. He wants to bring you into a relationship with himself. What is that going to take? It takes an acknowledgement, just like Zacchaeus. You've got to come to Jesus and say, you know what? I can't do it by myself. I've got to acknowledge that I am a helpless, hopeless sinner, and I'm looking at an eternity away from God. I need help. And this means you have to, to receive Christ. He's got to come in that front door. You've got to let him into your home. I know some of us, we can let people into the house, but they never got here. You know, you know what I mean? We can be cordial and friendly, you know, smile, maybe even have lunch, but you never really get here. Jesus wants that. He wants to get all the way in. When I say into your home, I mean your whole life. He wants you to receive him, to see that his work and his work on the cross alone is your only hope for salvation. That when he was paying that penalty, yeah, Jesus died for everyone. No, I realized Jesus, when he was dying, he was dying for me. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior.
And I can tell you right now, what does he want to do in your life? He wants to change it. He wants to turn it 180 from the direction that you are going about you and really about your sin to a whole different direction. He did it to Zacchaeus. We heard what, four or five baptisms lately about how the Lord is changing lives and turning them from the direction they're going and turning them towards him and following him and loving him and knowing him. And I think he wants to do it in your life as well. You know what? Jesus always came to the humblest places. I mean, seriously. A manger? It's a cattle trough. Of all the places in Jericho, Zacchaeus' house? Now, it might have been rich, but it was despised. It was hated. He always picks the humblest place to go. If you'll humble yourself, he'll come to your house. He'll draw near to you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so happy to be here this morning to hear how you come and change lives. We thank you for Zacchaeus. We thank you for your work in his life. Lord, I can, I can picture him shimming up that tree, his eyes getting as big as saucers, and you saving him. And watching him after he's saved, just turning from sin and clutching onto you with both hands. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that they would, see, they would see that's exactly what they need to do. To turn from sin and to turn to you with both hands. Lord, if there's restoration that needs to be done in this room, I pray that you would convince that person who you're working in their life that they need to make that right. If there's anyone who's put someone else or something else before you, that they would make that right and put it aside and lay both hands on you. Lord, I'm so glad, as it says in your word repeatedly, this man is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Lord, they said it as an insult. Lord, I say it as a praise. Lord, bless your word to our hearts. Help us not to be the same, but to draw close to you in spirit and in truth. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.